Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Province Sports Podcast. Welcome to the White Towel Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Ed Willis. Thank you for listening, everyone. You can subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts. You'll get the White Towel delivered to you all year long, every week, at least once, hopefully twice, as we get uh, some of our hockey writers back off the road. A lot of different voices on this, but today you get Ed and myself again. Um, Today we will talk a little bit about the Canucks playoff chase. We'll talk about Nikolai Goldobin. We will talk about the Canucks blue line and maybe even a little bit of Super Bowl chat at the end. Um, Ed, so let's start with... The Canucks in the playoff chase. Now, while we're recording this, the Canucks lost in Philadelphia. We know they're playing Washington tonight, so we're not going to talk specifically about that. Alex Edler was hurt last night. We do not know the status of that now. We'll hopefully find out later today. Um, But this team continues to be competitive. The Flyers have been really hot lately. Uh, They continue to keep themselves in the playoff conversation. Is this a good thing for them? Oh, 100% it is. I I just think it it, it just seems to, not not only does it legitimize legitimizes the plan the blueprint set out it shows people we're going the right direction here hang on there are better days ahead and before they were trying when they were trying to sell that in past years ago yeah right well look you're 28th you're in 28th place give me a break but now they can honestly point to this and goes look we've got this young core we've got this 20 year old phenom at center we've got Brock Besser Calder finalist last year we've got Quinn Hughes coming we've got all these 20 something prospects not all of them are going to hit, but it stands to reason a couple of them will. So I think just given everything this fan base has endured over the last three years and to give them something, to give them hope, and we've said it a lot of times, you've got to do one of two things in sports. You've got to either sell wins or sell hope. But the Canucks legitimately can sell hope now. Well, and they're selling some wins along with it. Yeah, uh, some. And, uh, yeah. Well, no, but I've, yeah. I've countered... It's easy to get carried away with some of the stuff that you might see online and social media about people like wanting the team to lose. Whenever you go to the rink, the people who've bought tickets want to see this team win. You can feel it. And when the Canucks score, people might groan, oh, they're beating Phoenix or Arizona. What are they doing? But, you know, there's a that hope and belief has built within this team. And as you've suggested, that's got to be the biggest step. That the, the the best step this year is that the young players know how to compete and know how to win. Oh, yeah. Well, and just from a purely selfish point of view, I mean, they've spent three years trying to wring something interesting about February, March Canucks hockey. And it is really hard. 
But, the, you know, this time the, the storylines kind of speak for themselves. I mean, you know, they're in the conversation. They held down. I haven't looked at it today. I know they held it. They were holding down eighth heading into the game on, on Monday night in Philly. And I, I thought they played really well. I mean, they got beat by a hot goalie. That's going to happen from time to time. But if they put that game on the ice here over the last six weeks of the season, they're going to be in fine shape. So again, it just it, it 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 energizes the fan base. It energizes the team. It changes the whole narrative around the team. It it gives people a reason to believe. I I'm just not sure. Exchanging all that for the hope of a high draft pick that would have to depend on getting lucky with the ping pong balls. I don't see where that's an equitable trade off. You know, there's there's a lot of hockey left to be played, um, but I, I kind of think an underreported, or not underreported, I, I don't even know what the right word is, Ed, but I don't know that the Calgary Flames are getting enough oh, yeah. attention for what they've done. I mean, not only to be top of the Western Conference, you know, in the season they've had to this point, they're 8-1-1 in their last 10. Um, does that offer some hope for the Canucks as well, that you're seeing a team that's, I mean, look, no one was picking the Calgary Flames to, to really be a Stanley Cup contender this year, but they knew they had some good young players and somehow this group has matured into what looks like a serious contender. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Now, the blueprint's a lot different. I mean, Calgary had an experienced blue line. The Canucks are still trying to, you know, jerry-rig something there, and it looks like it's going to probably take another year or two, depending on what they do this offseason, for them to get there. But as far as the young pieces, when you look at Gaudreau, when you look at Matthew Kachuk, when you look at Monaghan, who's basically their Bo Horvat, right? I think Canucks fans can look at that and go, well, yeah, why not us? And there's so many teams like that, right? And it, what the part, interesting part to me is I, I think if you go back a year, you could identify 10, 12 teams, maybe even more, who are in some stage of a rebuild. Some of them are going to make a bit of a leap forward. Some of them are going to make a great leap forward. Some of them are just going to be stuck where they are. And that Flames are one of those teams that have made the great leap forward. Um, I'm going to be a bit uh, snide now. I, I did see a headline on NHL.com that said, you know, Minnesota Wild could be buyers, could be sellers at the trade deadline. Oh, that's yeah, a headline that grabs me in. Well, that you kind of, it down. It kind of covered all your bases there. <laughs> yeah. But to, to your point about teams in a rebuild, it strikes me that the Canucks are one of those teams that literally could go either way right now. Why is for Jim Benning to just kind of sit back and see what the offers are and decide what his strategy is going to be from that point? Or do you think they need to be singing from the same uh, battle plan right well, now? I think he's got to as do I his, mix my metaphors yeah, like crazy. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's got to yeah, he's got to do his due diligence and see what the market looks like. I'm just not seeing you know. I'm pretty sure the Canucks first round draft. I mean, Benning is already on the record as saying he's not going to trade any one of his draft picks. So. That leaves one of the prospects. That maybe leaves a player on the roster. I, I just don't see where they have a lot of chips to play. Now, the interesting thing, and I hate to be like really cold-blooded about this, because Alex Adler su- looked to have suffered a horrific injury on Monday night. So, you know, first thought is to, is to his well-being. But it, I, I, I don't, we don't know, and I shouldn't even speculate yeah. how long it's going to be. But if it's, if it's any duration of time, and I'm just going to ask the question because I don't have a good answer for it. Does it change the conversation for the Canucks? With them poised so close to a playoff spot, do they go out and get, try and get a veteran defenseman to just like serve as a stopgap and maybe push this team into the playoffs? And, you know, mentioned this before, you know, what, what is ownership's 
uh, feelings on that matter. You know, they've been saying all along, you know, stick to the blueprint, we have to be patient, all those things. Does that change now that they're that close? But Ed, would that be a stopgap or considering the work that they have to do on the blue line anyway, would it be almost an acceleration of the plan that you know you know you're going to have to go out and get blue liners in the yeah. summer anyway, so you're just accelerating that process now? Uh, but again, I think it goes to your point how do you get that? What do they have to give up? Those those kind of trades for a team in the Canucks position are really hard to execute at the deadline. They're not big game hunters at, at the deadline. Now, maybe in the off season, you know, maybe that's when they look at, you know, the list of unrestricted free agents or a player that might shake loose and say, you know, we, we're going to identify that. I, I just see, again, I hate to keep harping on the same point, but, but you know, they've established this pattern. They've established this plan. Yes, things have happened along the way that might make them give them pause, but I don't see there's any reason to, to deviate from that plan at this point. This market loves a scapegoat, and I did. I have seen recently, once again, you know, Erica Branson just hasn't worked out in connecting. Yep. Uh, the coaches obviously like him to some degree, um, but could Branson and Pouliot continue to be a pairing that is roundly whipped? Is that deserved? Oh yeah, I, I think so. And and it's yeah, especially for you know what they gave up for Good Branson, where he was taken in the draft, what he was projected, what they 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 hoped. They hoped he would be like a you know a, a top four d- defenseman, that kind of like steady Eddie guy, a veteran presence, you know, the physicality, all those things. And he's he's just too erratic. Uh, the biggest job for the Canucks in the off season is upgrading two of the positions on the blue line, and that's Pouliot and that's Good Brands. And now they've got Quinn Hughes coming. That leaves another uh, position, and and uh, I, I think they're going to make a play for Eric Carlson. I mean, I, I think they're going to find out, you know, how much it's going to cost, what would it would take to bring him in. But I, I think he's a guy they're going to take a long, hard look at in unrestricted free agency. And as I'm saying that, he's probably signing an extension with the San Jose <laughs> Sharks. So, yeah. Well, the, the, the thing about that, I mean, that can certainly be part of your strategy to go after the big fish. And there's... It's been very clear from the ownership's point of view here and stuff that you hear back channels is that the owner, he wants to make a splash that way. He wants superstar names here, but obviously so much is going to be contingent upon uh, how the Sharks do. If you see a first-round flameout, maybe he's much more conducive to yeah. change of scenery. If they get close to the Stanley Cup, you know, okay, yeah, maybe he's happy staying where he is. So obviously you can't plan on that, but... Um, we have talked about this on prior podcasts. It does seem that this year is setting up that the Canucks are going to be aggressive because of the names that are out there in free agency. If not Carlson, then I would yeah. I would believe there's another big name out there that they're going to gun for. Well, yeah. So so they've got two glaring needs. One's on the blue line, and the other one is this like massive hole they have in their top six. And we can segue into Nikolai Gold Goldobin there. But with the names that are out there, like there the, the, there is you know pretty big supply of players who potentially suit the Canucks' needs. Now, they would suit a lot of teams' needs. There might be extensions for some of them. Matt Duchesne apparently is close, maybe, to re-upping in Ottawa. Ottawa's going to take a real run at Mark Stone, who is, you know, kind of in the blue-sky world of Canucks fans is the guy they would like to see plugged on a line with Pedersen and or Horvat or whoever it is. But there, there are just so many players who would seem to fit a Canucks need and all it's going to cost them is money. So I, I think they will be active uh, this offseason. Who, how, why, that, that that will be determined. So let's talk about Goldobin. Yeah. He's, he's one of these guys that um, 
Maybe it's the Russian pedigree. Maybe it is the fact that he, you know, people obviously love offensive players, and he certainly does have uh, some of those offensive skills. But the coach is not happy, clearly, with his overall game. And whether it's, you know, healthy scratches, whether it's dealing with the message through the media, um, it hasn't happened to him for this point, really, on a consistent basis. Obviously, you see flashes robbed in Philadelphia. I, I don't know how much you blame him for that. Great save by, by a great, uh, great young goalie. But what's how much rope does he have left in Vancouver for you? Well, I, I think the Canucks are in a position where they don't have any choice. They've got to run him out there in their top six uh, because they don't know what they you know they don't know how long Berchi's going to be out. They, they, they're they've got a need there now that now that now is the time for Goldobin to step into that and prove he belongs in that top six role. I like I like I said I I, I don't see how I think the time of sending the message is over. Uh, for him, they've got to find out. And I thought, I thought in a lot of ways that game Monday night was like almost a perfect microcosm of this time in Vancouver because he didn't do, he had one good power play shift early on, barely touched the puck for the rest of the first period and early into the second. He kind of stumbles into the play that leads to Besser's goal. Okay, fair play to him. You know, he, he made a play down the ice and it ended up a heart charged out of the net and served it up on a, on a platter to Besser. But the more significant turn of events for Canucks fans come later in the second period when Green pulls uh, Goldobin off the line with Pedersen, puts him with Bo Horvat, and they became offensive drivers from about the five minute five minutes to go in the second all the way through the third. You know, there was that great chance, but he was in the middle of a lot of really good stuff in the offensive end. If he can deliver that on a night-in, night-out basis, that answers so many questions for the Canucks. It gives them a secondary scoring line. It makes it keeps the power play dangerous. He all of a sudden becomes a really pivotal figure for the Canucks in their stretch drive. And like I said, we don't know with Berchi, but you know, it sounds like it could be one of those weird things that turns into a long-term thing. So this is his time. This, this is kind of a really interesting moment for me, for the, for the organization and the player. Does it highlight it again, and we've talked about this for Jake Vertanen in the, in, over these podcasts as well the last couple of months, does it highlight how difficult it is to do it consistently in the NHL? Because there's no doubt these yeah. guys, guys like Vertanen, guys like Oldobin, they have tools. They have NHL caliber tools. They, in some cases, you say elite tools, but it's bringing it every night. Yeah. No, and, and, and I think it, 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 if nothing else, it kind of like reinforces the message uh, about uh, a realistic message about the learning and developmental curve for young players. I mean, Pedersen's a unicorn, right? You just don't get guys stepping in and contributing the level. And when you do, that's just found money. That's just the roulette wheel spinning your number up. But for the other 95% of, 90 to 95% of, of young players, there is a process that has to take place and it is long and it is tedious and it is never smooth and it's never on a continuing upward arc. But sometimes they get there, and sometimes they don't. I just I I I, I liked Vertanen's game again last night. I've liked it for a while. I think he's found a home there on the third line, and maybe floating up. And he seems to be playing more and more, you know, in key offensive situations. And I, I think I wrote it on Monday. I, I think you can easily make the case whether or not the Canucks make the playoffs boils down to Goldobin and, and Vertanen if they can contribute. Um, in Goldobin's case, like a top six forward, in Vertanen's case, like a you know a twenty goal winger. 
I see the Canucks making the playoffs, all other things being equal. If the, you know, if the goaltending holds up, and of course, Adler's injury might change all that. But heading into this road trip, that's the way I saw it. How different is the the feel, the atmosphere, the vibe in the locker room now when you go in versus say this time last year or the year before? Yeah, it's it is different. I mean, you know, and you know, I I give the organization credit for bringing in guys like Jay Beagle. And Roussel, and they really, they really are good in the room. But they are, you know, uh, Beagle especially. Just like you know, he's got the Stanley Cup ring. He's a, and and he really is one of these guys who exudes confidence and positivity and all those things. And he's 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 been in the league long enough that he's got the currency to carry that message in the locker room so I think that and you can also see the I, I think you can see the effect of rubbing off on a guy like Horvat who really is the captain in waiting in this team I'm still not sure why they haven't given him the C but he will be the guy going forward I, I don't see it playing out any other way so you know on, on, on that basis and again that's part of this you know larger story of the Canucks of the positive things that derive from a playoff run and you think of the impact it has on a guy like Horvat and, 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 and all the other younger players to see, you know, what it is to have to bring it every night when the temperature of the games gets turned up. You mentioned goaltending. I think that that's another part of the story this year that, um, again, not necessarily flipped on the, under the radar, but not maybe got the attention it should have. Everyone at the start of the year was not sure Markstrom is the guy, he's had enough time to prove himself, blah, blah, blah. Um, actually been pretty solid and cemented himself there. We know that they got rid of Nielsen, bringing in Demko. Now, it's that that's it's not like, oh, this is the Canucks goalies of the future, but he brings stability, calmness, and certainly I think for his own confidence, this has been his best year, hands down. Yeah, I think so, and I think it's actually started in the second half of last season. So you've got a pretty big sample size now. I think Ian Clark's done really good work with, with Markstrom now. He just seems, you know, the, the, those bad goals, they seem to be fewer and farther between. That was always his Achilles heel. It just, the way I see it, it, it just kind of ticks that box. I don't think that's a worry for the organization anymore. I think when you look at Markstrom and then you look at Demko and then you look at DiPietro coming up, I, I, I don't, unless something falls off the rails completely and sometimes it does with yeah. goalies but I, I just see is they've got long they've got short and long-term answers there and I don't see that being a worry for the for this organization for the next eight to ten years assess Travis Green's performance so far this season yeah, good very yeah very good I it, it, it's hard to know um I it just because I think sometimes one of the most overrated things is getting an, an average team to overachieve in the short term. You know, you get some breaks, you get a couple of things happening. I just, I, I think the big picture, though, I, I think you can see what he's trying to do, the style of game he's trying to promote and drill into this team, and it's very much uh, uh, in concert with, with the, the way the NHL is going towards speed and towards youth. I think the Canucks still need to, to get faster. They need to add skill. They've got some coming, and again, that's why this offseason shapes up so well, and it'll be really, really interesting to see Quinn Hughes's impact on this team when he gets in the lineup. Um, again, I, I think that's another one of those boxes you can tip tick off. I don't think right now there's, there, there is a big question about <clears throat> this team's coaching staff or the direction it's, it's provided. So, you know, that, those are two pretty big boxes. 
to, to tick. Yeah, well, it, go, it goes back to a comment you made at the start about selling hope. And I think that this is, again, uh, there may be a desire in some corners to see the team end up with Jack Hughes. Obviously, he's like, supposed to be an elite player. But it's progress, isn't it? I think for the players, for the fans, for the coach, like everyone wants to see progress. And even if fans were placated to some degree with a high draft pick, you would have a question about the coaching staff. Some these young players aren't developing under him. They're not going anywhere. And while you're still striving for consistency with a couple of the prospects, overall we have seen the roster take a significant step forward. So, as you said, you have to be happy with that job. Well, think of the conversation we were having at the start of the year, Paul. What would constitute a successful season for the Canucks? And there was maybe some talk about being the playoffs, but for the most part it was want to, show, want to see improvement in the young players, want to see them playing meaningful games, want, want to see kind of an upward arc in terms of the development of, of the team game. And I think there's been a couple of exceptions. Yeah, there's been disappointment in the lineup, but I think overwhelmingly they have fulfilled that part of the mandate. So, you know, let's just see where it goes from there. And I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to see how they react to the pressure of a playoff draft. Yeah, absolutely. And I did find it, I found it funny that um, we do like to complain out here on the West Coast. And, and barely noticed. <laughs> I barely noticed. And, and you know, the, the idea that Eastern media don't pay attention to, uh, to the Canucks or their players or what's going on out here. But I've seen a fair amount of stuff over the last couple of days lauding the job that Carter Hart has done and said, if it wasn't for Elias Pettersson, he'd be in the Calder Trophy. So it's like people have turned around their thoughts on what this team is. And certainly Pettersson's got people's attention. I think Besser did last year a little bit. When you talk to writers from around the league, what's their opinion of the Canucks? It's still muted. I think, you know, for the out-of-town guys like Pettersson is the big and easy story. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're doing a lot about, you know, like Adam Gaudet's development in Utica or, or whatever, whatever it might be. But that's, again, that's part of the genius of Pedersen is just the way he's changed the conversation about this team. And he does make it a, full point, a focal point. It's an awful lot to ask of a 20-year-old kid, but so far he seems to be handling it. And again, think of what this does for his development to go, you know, in Philly, he's up against Jacob Voracek. Uh, tonight, he'll probably see a lot of Kuznetsov or whoever it happens to be, and and, and so on and so on down the line. Um, he's not going to win every battle, but he's going to win some. And uh, I, I think the long-term benefit will be invaluable to him. So uh, if I, you know, I, I look at this Connects team now and you talk about playoffs and it's it's a good thing that they're in the hunt and they're playing meaningful games. What's the odds to you that they could win a game or a round if they get in? Well, the puncher's chance, right? You know, they close their eyes, they throw a haymaker at Canucks. I, I, would I bet it? No. Uh, unless something changed dramatically, they're going to be facing a team like, like Winnipeg or Nashville. I I wouldn't mind. I, I got. I got to tell you, I wouldn't mind their chances against Calgary. I think of the top teams in the West, they might match up best uh, against the Flames. So you, you you never know. It's just. I think there was a time um, when those upsets you could almost count on one in the first round, 
every year. You, you just seem to see less and less of those. I'd have to do a deeper dive into the history of the playoffs, but that's just kind of my... It's somewhat of the structure now with the wild card, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's it. So it's... I, I don't see it, but, but, but again, I mean, I, just to have that playoff atmosphere in this city to, you know, to, to see the market engage, to see the fans get some kind of payoff for the last three years. That, I mean, that has tremendous value in and by itself. Just before we kind of wrap up on the Canucks stuff, uh, curious that today, of course, we're seeing, I'm not sure if you've heard, Ed, but Austin Matthews has signed an extension. So Yeah, it was getting a little bit of radio play when yeah. I drove up here. Yeah, yeah. apparently the uh, unemployment uh, rate has dropped by 3% as the Toronto uh, Sports Network hires more people to write that story. But overall, I look at it. We've seen some things in Edmonton. Obviously, you get a generational player like McDavid, and then you have this other collection of high picks. Toronto and a similar thing. You're trying to fit them all under the cap. Maybe it alters your window. Um, how are the Canucks setting up cap-wise for you as you look at this? Where they're obviously yeah. a few years away from that. Yeah. You're already looking at Pedersen and going, okay, yeah. we still know that there's an extension for Besser there. Hughes will come in. They have a few years before they have to worry about it. But when you talk about them going out and committing a lot of money to a guy like uh, Carlson, if they if they are successful, how do you like the way this team is structured right now? From a yeah, well, as you say, right now, fine. But again, you look down the road. I mean, they're paying virtually nothing for their goaltending right now. They've got Markstrom on a very cheap ticket, and you know, if they if they make that decision, that's one thing they're going to have to look at. Uh, Quinn Hughes will be on an entry level deal, so three years. I, I I'm just off the top of my head without really looking at. It. I'd say they've got probably about two years where they've got some flexibility, and I I I think when Quinn Hughes's entry level deal, when they have to re up him to his second contract. I think that's when it might start to be a squeeze, especially if they do go out and sign that free agent. Because now all of a sudden, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just blanking out on how many years Erickson has left now. Will he be a factor then? I think he's got three years. Yeah, I think so. Uh, after this. So, you know, may, maybe they get out, out, out from under that, and that, that would certainly be relief. Um, I, it, it, the way they're structured now, it's like, they're, so you, you've got their three stars. Well, Horvat, Horvat's secured. Yeah. For a few few more years, they've got Pedersen, they've got Besser, and I don't see another 30, 35 goal scorer there. Somebody they're going to have to come out of their comfort level to pay. Am I missing something? No, no. That's that's why I asked the question. Is if I look at how this team is framed, you have the top end stuff that, yeah. if you project three, four years down the road, okay, you're going to have to look at max contracts for them. But you're right with the Vertanens with. You know, you look at the blue line, they don't have that mid-level that's going to eat away at that money. So I think that's where, if you're trying to project, you would look at like, okay, we can, I don't want to say overpay, but we can commit a lot of money to a top-end player and compete on a financial level uh, for those guys. I, I just, I thought it was interesting with what's happening in Toronto now, and we know we'd seen it with Nylander. The Canucks are actually in better shape than a lot of those other yeah, teams. Yeah, I think so too, and especially with the cap going. I think it's, I believe it's going up to eighty-three million uh, this off season, which is, you know, again, you know, a little, a little extra room for for the Canucks to play around. <laughs> around with I'm sorry I'm saying that and I'm just thinking of some of the other free agent signings and I, this is a it's it's a worrisome time uh for for this fan base but I I, I think it, it's so clear now what what needs what needs to happen and the kind of player they need to go out and get um and and especially the quality of the players that'll be available I I just don't see it as being as as dangerous 
as uh, some past years with free agency. Okay, now we are going to finish up talking about a team that has managed the cap astonishingly well, uh, and that's, we talk about sports being copycat. We know that Francesco Aquilini is... um, I wouldn't say good friends, but at least acquaintances with Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Look, you you own us, you own a team, you aspire to be great, and you look at the greatest that there is. I despise the New England Patriots. I hate them. That was the worst Super Bowl I've watched probably since I think 1974, Oakland and Minnesota, and even that I think had a little more curb appeal. But my God, I have to respect what they've been able to do with New England when you manage a salary cap, when you have stars to get in there, when you have to have everyone believing in the message from an organization, different sports for sure, but still it was a dreadful Super Bowl, but I'm still fairly impressed with the story. Ed. No, you, you, you have to get past that kind of like, like initial visceral response to the Patriots. And they, there is something off putting about them and the way they, 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 they go, but, but, but just to do it like a deeper dive and really look and appreciate and how they've done this over a 17 year period. It's mind blowing, and especially when you think of the other 31 teams and the resources they've poured into it, and and the brain power and the money and everything else, and just for a little snippet of what it is the Patriots have gone and the teams over those 17 years who haven't who haven't had had a whiff of a Super Bowl, and you know some. I, I, is there a team left that hasn't made the playoffs over that time? Is Cleveland still there? Oh, Cleveland made the playoffs once since they came back. In 2002, since yeah. 2002. Okay, well, yeah. well, whatever. But I think, the, you know, the point still stands. Yeah. It, it, it is that, you know, you've got all these other high-power football operations and smart guys running them. But Belichick and and the Patriots' way, they, they stand supreme. Um, and it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And the best part is when – this is the other part, and, and there was um, – I scalped a Trent Dilfer quote about, you know, how he, you know, studied the offense and tried to, you know, and this is this is a former quarterback, yeah. right? Yeah. Not a very good one, but still, like, you know, a guy who played in the NFL. And he said, yeah, you know, I looked, I've tried to understand it, but honestly, I'd be lying to you if I said I did. Um, you know, and that's kind of part of the, the, the Patriots mystique. Well, the, I mean, the, it's, it's nowhere near the same level, but the one team that kind of tried to – do a similar thing to me was the Blackhawks. When you win a championship and everyone wants more money and you lose big pieces, like whether it was a Ladd or a Bufflin or, you know, and along the way you find other pieces that fit. I mean, the Patriots do that times 10. You know, to me, when you look at the players, Chandler Jones, you know, he yeah. was one of the... One Jamie of, Collins. Yeah, right? like yeah, just... Yeah. They're two lose best them, defensive yeah, players. Two best no. lose yeah. them, bring in other people. Well, you know what? You have a dominating defensive performance in the Super Bowl and just give up three points. Well, so I, I covered that 2002 game, which is basically... No, 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 basically, it was their introduction to the popular football consciousness. And, you know, so at that time, Brady's a game manager. They've got a power running game, but they've got this kick-ass defense. And one of the leaders of the defense is Laurie Malloy whose contract is coming up the next season. They, the, the Patriots sit down with him. He goes, no, he's gone. Signs with Buffalo. How can you lose an all-pro player like that? How can you lose a little? Well, they go out and get Rodney, Rodney Harrison, and they're back in the Super Bowl two years later. The Dion Branch one. Yeah. You know, they've gotten a pretty good receiver. but like Off he, to Seattle. <laughs> uh, he's, he's the MVP of the whatever number it was when they, when they beat Philly. Um Wants more money? No, see ya. They yeah. got to flip him to West Seattle Walker. for 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 first round. It's just it's and over and over and over again. It, it. I don't know about you, but I go through this process. It's you know, 
the, 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 the defense, you, you couldn't name more than, I remember Hightower. I could have named Hightower. I could have named Chung. Uh, I could have named Stephen Gilmore. I I think, yeah. But but so each playoff season, it's like it's like you get to know the, the Patriots defense, right? And then go, next year, it's and all you go, group. yeah. Then you go, boy, that guy's a really good player. I've never heard of him. <laughs> who's who's that guy? Like the linebacker Van Noy. Yeah. yeah, couldn't couldn't have picked him out of a police lineup before these playoffs, and he he could have easily been the MVP of the Super Bowl. So it's 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 absolutely mind boggling, and they do it with like second round picks and college free agents and guys picked in. in 25 and higher in the first round. They've just turned the model on its head. Well, and the thing that, that does kill me about that, Ed, is you'll see the Patriots will be sitting there with like the number, the 22nd or 23rd pick one year, and they'll just get rid of it and pick up an extra second round pick this year and then mm-hmm. one next year. Yeah. And they don't seem to, I mean, when you think of, you talk about their 17 years, they haven't had a top five pick since I'm trying to remember who well, the I last can, I can tell you exactly probably be Drew Bledsoe. No, well, yeah, that's right. But okay, so Belichick's first year, they pick sixth overall, and they get Richard Seymour. Not a bad pick. Bo- borderline Hall of Fame diva, and and he is like one of the cornerstones of the defense for seven years, until he's due for a big big payday. <laughs> Ship him off to Oakland for I think a first rounder and, and other assets. They pick. Tenth, one other year, and they take Mayo, J- J- Jared Mayo, the linebacker. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They 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 get him the lineup. Um, the ten years I looked at, they picked twenty first or higher every year, and four of the years they didn't have a first rounder at all. And again, you know, talk about the model where we're going to build through the draft. We're going to be patient. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. The pages is going. Ah, oh, we'll take that kid. We'll plug him in the lineup, and he'll be great. And that's how they do it. Nobody else does it. I still don't know how they do it, but it, it, it's it, it's incredible. Well, I hope when Francesco sits down in the offseason with uh, Tom and Giselle, he comes up with some pearls of wisdom that can help the Canucks here. So uh, thanks for joining us, Ed. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Whitetail Podcast. Subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts to get this delivered to you every week. Look out for our videos on our website at theprovince.com and thevancouverson.com as well. Thanks, everyone.